Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we are following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Invisible Hate. I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. And we are going back just a few years to Thursday, August 22nd, 2019. It's 2.30 in the morning in a home in San Bruno, California. Heidi Arguello and her husband, Wilfredo Amaya, return home to where their daughters should be fast asleep. Instead, they are shocked to find a young black man they've never seen before hiding in the closet of one of their daughters. Chaos ensues as the young man gets aggressive. The couple calls the daughter's biological dad for backup. Together, the three adults attempt to restrain the boy and figure out why he's in the house. They tie him up, scream at him, and physically assault him. They even threaten to kill him. Eventually, they untie him and he leaves. Later in the day, the victim reports the incident to police. He says that racial slurs were yelled at him during the attack. The three parents are arrested, facing charges of kidnapping, assault with a deadly weapon, criminal threats, and committing a hate crime. This is Invisible Hate. Welcome back to Invisible Hate, a weekly true crime podcast in which Sally and I attempt to uncover the ugly truth behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. You're right, Asad. Many of the cases that we discuss involve crimes committed against minority groups. Our goal is to determine through a discussion of the nuances and complexities of these unfortunate situations whether or not these transgressions can be considered hate crimes. As will soon become clear, today's case appears to fit many of the criteria for a hate crime, but we've never covered a case like this one before, so I'm really excited to delve into it. But before we do that, Asad, how's your week been? Yes, Adi, a week has been good. The whole family is getting over sicknesses, and so that's always fun. It's the time of year. You know, I really missed, I really miss in COVID when we weren't around other people and for like three years, I didn't get sick, you know? And so ah, I missed that. But you're uh, right. <laughs> anyway, how was your week? My week has been good, but my day has been more interesting. And oh, I'll tell you why. Okay. I was at the gym. I go to gym three to four times a week. Oh, look at you. It helps me, you know, structure my thoughts and it relaxes me basically. 
But anyways, I was at the gym and like many other gyms, it has these TV screens and I normally never, and I mean never watch TV. Mm. I'm either listening to a podcast or listening to my Desi music. Mm. And this time I was working out right in front of one of the TV screens and I just glanced, I said, I really glanced over and obviously there was news, Fox News, and there was a news ticker saying something like, Georgia murder suspect is an illegal immigrant. Oh, very interesting. And I said it really made me so angry. I can right? only imagine. Yeah. Why? I guess explain why you're angry. First of all, people are not illegal. They can be undocumented, but humans cannot be illegal. So that term itself really bothers me. And then it just seemed like incitement of violence, right? Now, I get, I understand that it must be devastating, devastating for the family of the victim. I understand somebody murdered their family member, their friend. But good and bad humans exist everywhere, I said. And to make it all about immigration is incitement of violence and imagine the kind of backlash and, you know, resentment and hatred this will ensue um, against immigrant communities. Yeah, I'm not surprised because it is Fox News, but I really, really urge my listeners here to not fall for these, you know, terms and these traps because humanity exists within all different groups and we have to recognize that and just see it as a crime committed by one individual, one human, and not committed by, you know, all these hyphenated identities that Fox so blatantly was amplifying. Yeah. So the issue is, is that um, obviously murder happened and presumably the Fox listeners know or watchers know what Georgia murder they're talking about and that for whatever reason, Fox thinks that it's important that when this one piece of information that the potential suspect was an illegal immigrant, that that was the important fact to share in a ticker, <laughs> yeah. no less without providing any <laughs> other information. Yeah, no, I totally I think that that's like it would be the same as if we if we saw like the suspect was Muslim, like that's not important to the story. And I said on this podcast, that's exactly what we are doing. We are trying to debunk these myths, right? We are saying that humans commit crimes and let's just deconstruct that and not blame entire communities and ethnicities, nationalities, people's immigration status for actions of a few perpetrators. Yeah, I agree. So I said, let's talk about today's case. <laughs> let's talk about today's case. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, Sadia, before we get started, I just got to know, we both have daughters, albeit, you know, I have a young one, you have older ones, but what would you do if you came home and found a boy hiding in one of their closets? Wow, Asa, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I will go ask my daughter. That's that's what I will do, Asa, like <laughs> before I do anything else. I'll just ask her what's going on. Yeah, what would you do? So I think, yeah, obviously it would depend on if we knew who the person was or not, but if it was a stranger in the closet, yeah. I mean, I think I think my emotions, I'd be fearful. I'd be like, what the hell is going on? Get out. Like, you know, all the things. And especially if I didn't know who that person was, then I think my first instinct would be to call the police and or huh. I guess get my 
child and get the hell out of there and then call the police, right? I think this is one of those these situations hopefully nobody will ever be in. But like who knows, I said. But it's interesting you said that because you're assuming that your child may be in danger and I am assuming my child may have done something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think you don't know in the situation, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's that like just going in but anyway, so sorry yeah. girls, I shouldn't I shouldn't assume <laughs> things. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But anyway, so let's go over the detail of, of this case a little bit more. So first off, San Bruno is a suburb of San Francisco. It's about 12 miles south of the city and is known as an airport city for its proximity to San Francisco International Airport. It's a diverse middle class city with about a 30 percent Latino population. And the family that we're talking about today is also Latino. The three daughters that are in the story live with their mother. Haiti Arguello and their stepfather, Wilfredo Amaya. Both Aguelo and Amaya are returning home quite late on a Thursday evening from work. Their two eldest daughters, Belks and Catherine Gomez, are asleep, but their youngest, who is 15, is evidently not. And Sadia, as we've discussed, <laughs> there is someone else in the house, a 17-year-old boy. That boy, who is African-American, hears the parents return home and attempts to hide in a small closet in the room that he's in. I guess he's not quiet either because the mom, Aguero, hears noises coming from her daughter's room and goes to investigate. And spoiler alert, if you haven't figured this out already, yes, the boy in the closet is the 15-year-old girl's secret boyfriend. Because there are minors involved in this story, there are very few details available about the daughter and her boyfriend, but I'll share what police know. Neither the mother nor stepfather had met the boy before, nor had they granted permission for him to come over. When he is discovered, it's unclear what the youngest daughter tells her parents. You know, I mean, Sally, what... What you know? What would you say to your parents if they walked in? I can only imagine the confusion, right? I said, first of all, I've never been in that situation. <laughs> um, I was too scared of my parents growing up. So yeah, I wouldn't do that. I haven't done that. But now I understand why parents got mad in the beginning. Because look, she is only 15. And they see a boy in her closet. And they probably panicked. Yeah. So sadly, the older sisters awake abruptly in all the commotion in the house and come out of their bedrooms to see everyone gathered around the boy. And just to note, it's unclear whether the older sisters know anything, too, about their relationship. I think my assumption is that they probably did, but, you know, who knows? According to one of the older daughters, Belks, the parents were terrified to find the boy and assumed he is an intruder. Listen to this clip from ABC7 News from one of those daughters. They've been so scary because they find someone in the closet. They jump because everybody was sleeping. So then Sadia, as you can imagine, the stepdad, Amaya, then asks the boy, what is he doing there? And the boy responds saying nothing. And then the boy punches Amaya in the chest and the mom in her mouth. Oh, wow. Amaya intervenes to defend his wife but then the boy starts kicking the stepfather, allegedly trying to kill him. Oh my gosh, I said. And again, this is from, you know, one perspective only. 
I guess for some reason, instead of calling police, they call the daughter's biological dad, whose name is Lysander Suarez. Suarez lives in San Francisco, 10 miles away or so, so he drives down immediately. Which shows that they have good terms with the wife's ex. Yeah, yeah, it seems like they're happy enough. One big happy family. For sure, for sure. Sally, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about what happens when the dad arrives. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Sadia, now the biological dad has arrived. So that now there are three enraged adults, all parents, in the house trying to address this situation. According to the boy, the three adults begin to punch and kick him. I guess they thought that he was, quote, out of control. They then decide to tie a rope from a piñata around the boy's neck and hands to contain him. This, again, is according to the boy's account. They then drag him around the house. According to the boy, they keep asking what he's doing there and yell racial slurs at him, including the N-word. And then Amaya, the stepdad, allegedly presses a machete against the boy's cheek and threatens to kill him. Eventually, Amaya unties him and leads him outside, and he tells the boy that if he returns, he will kill him. The boy who we should not really be calling a victim, flees. Oh my gosh, I said, this is a very extraordinary case. We've never covered something like this, right? Because on the one hand, the boy is aggressive in the beginning. He starts hitting both parents. So they react naturally. But their reaction is so over the top. They call this other adult who comes in and then three adults start to abuse the kid physically. And a 17-year-old boy is being violently attacked by three adults. I honestly don't know how to react to this because I feel for everyone here. I think that's a great way of putting it. And it's such a situation that any of us, especially our parents or, you know, even us as teenagers can imagine, you know, being in or knowing a friend of ours being in, you know, I definitely have had friends who were in this, you know, kind of exact situation, right? Anyway, so the boy leaves, but later that day at about 1230, he goes to report the crime. At some point before, after going to the police station, he is taken to the hospital where he's checked out for minor wounds and released. Does it seem strange to you, Asad, that he didn't head directly to the police? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Sadia, and I was wondering this too, but you know, I think you got to remember a mind of a 17-year-old boy and a black boy no less. Yeah. I just can't blame him for not going to the police first and, you know, going home or going to his parents instead, but if you're also a teenager out at two o'clock in the morning at your girlfriend's house, you're probably breaking your own parents' rules, right? So like he's probably weighing all this stuff in his head as he's leaving like Who do I tell? What about? And I don't blame him for like not going directly to police or even not going directly to parents if he didn't do that. Like, you know, I think that's that's a lot to put on a 17 year old, you know, in the moment. You're right. I said the good thing is his injuries are not serious, right? They're minor injuries. Exactly. 
So, Asad, is there any kind of investigation? Yeah, so the three adults are arrested almost immediately, and the 15-year-old daughter is placed in child protective services. Oh, I wonder why. I mean, I'm a bit confused. I get them being arrested, but why would the police or whoever is responsible place 15-year-old daughter in child services? Yeah, it must be because if all three of the parents who could be responsible for her are arrested or in jail or whatever, then maybe there's no line of succession in terms of who can watch the the child. My guess is that this is probably standard operating procedure, but Mm. I don't know. I think, Sally, what is interesting about this case compared to a lot of the other ones that we cover is that they actually brought the charge of hate crime up from the start here. So there were multiple charges, including a hate crime, and that hate crime can carry up to 20 years in jail. The prosecutor tries to raise the bail amount, but is denied, with the judge stating that the defendants are not a threat to public safety, and the adults eventually make bail. But, of course, the investigation continues. Law enforcement officers try to determine just how long the victim was being held by the parents. They say that it didn't seem brief. So everyone is interviewed, and as you can imagine, everybody had different versions of the story, Sadia. The boy says that he was just visiting the daughter. Finally, finally he admits to visiting his girlfriend. I was <laughs> waiting for this moment, Asad. Like, this right, made my right. day. <laughs> and he says that the attack lasted one to two hours and included physical and verbal threats. He also says they tied a rope around his neck. And he also believes that the assault was related to him being black. And then the police interview a neighbor a few houses down who says he heard a boy screaming in pain that night. So some corroboration a little bit about what's going on, you know, that night. As for the stepdad, in his interview, he says he did use a rope, but not around the boy's neck. He says the boy was restrained about 20 minutes and that he only used the machete to cut the rope binding the boy's hands. He says that he did tell the boy that he could kill him, not that he would. Meanwhile, the mom says that the boy is lying about his story and that they didn't hit him at all. They were just alarmed to find a strange boy in their daughter's room and were not even considering race. Take a listen to what she tells a local news station here. No, we never hit no one. So we are afraid about the family. We now talking about we don't think in that moment about the race race is that doesn't matter i said i have so many thoughts i understand as a parent i would be scared as well i would freak out i would probably ask my daughter but you know sometimes when kids are put in these situations they freak out as well and they don't tell the truth but at the same time i am also thinking about the racial slurs being hurled at this kid the use of N-word, the kid being dragged, all those to me indicate that there is a racial undertone to their anger and that to me is problematic, right? Now, I also get what the mom is saying about not even considering race because if I were in her situation, I wouldn't really think about 
who the boy is, what he looks like. I would be more focused on why this kid is in my daughter's room. But then, I don't know. I'm confused, Asad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a this is a, a very confusing story. It actually reminds me. I don't know if you've heard about this movie that's in the theaters. That's on the you know the Oscar race and whatnot called Anatomy of a Fall. Basically, it's it's a lot about not this story exactly, but this idea of something happens and then people have different viewpoints and different memories and different stories about what mm. happened. And it's one of the best movies I've seen in, in a long time. I don't watch a lot of movies, but this I highly recommend it. It's winning a bunch of awards, but it reminds me of that. It's like something happened and then everybody has a different perspective and the the facts kind of roll out and, you know, like your opinion of the story changes as you hear more and more. So anyway, just to note, Sadia, nobody in the family has a history of any sort of criminal activity. And both older daughters back up the story that the parents, adults, neither hurt him nor call him names. Regardless, a search warrant is executed at the family home and the police sees evidence. Authorities explicitly state that they are remaining really tight-lipped for the sake of the two youngsters involved. But at least one police officer talks to a local news station. Here's what he said. When members of the female's family arrived, three of the family members became irate and started assaulting the male juvenile victim. These family members ultimately restrained the victim using rope, held him against his will, assaulted him multiple times, and even threatened to kill him. After a period of time, the suspects released the juvenile victim and he fled the scene. And then, Sadia, while all this is happening, the district attorney says there's a strong case to be made against the parents. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that strong case and what happened. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Asad, did the three adults fight this in court? Yes, either they do. And there are a series of hearings over many years, as is common in things like this. The hate crime charges stand for Aguilo and Amaya, the mom and the stepdad. Those charges have the capacity to add three years of prison time to a sentence for a felony. For Suarez, the biological father... The hate crime enhancement is dropped, but a charge of vandalizing at least $400 worth of the boy's property is added. And I'm not sure what they're referring to. That's interesting. Yeah. And sadly, so everybody obviously lawyers up and the defendants initially enter no pleas. But by September 2019, they all plead not guilty. At a hearing in early 2020, the judge drops the remaining hate crime charges basically agreeing with the defense that the motive was parental rage. You know, oh, I think this there's of, a name for it. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I don't know if it's a legal term though, but I think it falls in the category of this kind of crime of passion that like something happens and you just immediately respond. I said, next time I'm mad at my daughters, I'll say I have parental rage. <laughs> yeah. So excuse me for being mad at you or doing whatever I'm doing. And I think there's a, a separate category for Pakistani parental rage <laughs> as well. Sadly, I should just I should just note. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, as it. That's true. Anyways, the other charges stick. During the trial, it appears that Amaya, the stepdad, is presented as the main culprit of the attack. 
There are many inconsistencies between his interview with police and the evidence presented by the prosecution at trial. On March 19th, 2021, so like a year later, the judge acquits Aguero and Suarez of all charges, so the mom and the biological dad. The stepdad, though, Amaya, is convicted of a misdemeanor false imprisonment, but acquitted of all other felonies. And while I could not find information about his particular sentence, this charge in California usually carries a year in county jail and a thousand dollar fine. Amaya appeals, but his appeal was denied later by a higher court. Interesting, interesting. We'll go right to our question, right? Yeah, let's talk about it. Do you think this was a hate crime? Yeah, I mean, what an interesting story and what an interesting topic of discussion. My gut reaction is I don't think that there's enough evidence to determine whether or not this was a hate crime. I think there's too many he said, she said type of thing. Yeah. I think that, like, uh, clearly the parents went overboard or one of the parents went overboard in their reaction. The question that I'm asking myself, Sadia, is like, if the boy was not black, let's say he was Hispanic or white or something else, what would the reaction have been by the parents? My guess is maybe pretty similar to what happened. And not, again, I'm not justifying that, but I, I, I don't know. I, what do you think? That's a great question. I said, I've been thinking about it as well. Now, at least I want to say this. There is racism even within communities of color. We know yeah. that, right? It exists within South Asian communities, Latino communities. Anti-black racism exists. So that could be an element as well. But at the same time, the situation in which these parents found themselves is extremely worrisome, right? So to me, if I came home and I saw my daughter's boyfriend or somebody in their room, I would be enraged and I would be angry and I would be worried and terrified. And those emotions may be manifested in their reaction to the boy. But if it were a white boy, I don't know, Asad. I mean, I wish I could ask the parents. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think, they, uh, I think all, in all these cases. I wish yeah, because it does bother me that they used racial slurs and they used the N-word and they could have avoided that, right? Yeah, I mean, and that, but that, that's also according to the boy. And I, I want to trust the victim and, and all that as well. But yeah, I think, Salia, the thing that really gives me pause in terms of hate crime or not hate crime is that they didn't call police first. They called the biological dad to come yeah, to handle that's it. Right. A and great so, point, so like if there was this kind of calm that they could pick up the phone and call someone, like why not call police if they thought that the intruder was not known, right? Or just ask your daughter. Yeah, or like, ask daughter, right? You know, for me, it's like even before calling the police, right? Look at all the indicators. He is in her closet. Right. She is not freaked out. She's not hurt, which means she probably knows him and ask her first. And I don't know what she said because I think they probably had a conversation with her. If she denied knowing him, that could be one of the reasons why their reaction was so over the top. Well, I think the reaction was over the top also because the boy allegedly 
punched them, right? And got aggressive yeah. with them at first, right? So then it was, yeah. So like, yeah, so what a complicated story. Sally. It is a complicated story. I said, in fact, this is one story where I really, really want our listeners to chime in. Yeah. You know, ping us, DM us on socials. Tell us what you think, because I'm confused. I am not going to side one way or the other. Okay. I I can't say whether it was or it wasn't a hate crime. Yeah. Yeah. I'll wait this one out. All right, Sadia. Well, yeah, definitely let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach us at info at invisiblehate.com. Regular listeners will know that that's our email. And yeah, definitely ping us and let us know what you think. And if you want to learn more, please check out the links in the show notes about the case. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for invisiblehatepodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more, check out links in the show notes about the case. As Asad said, please email us your thoughts on this particular story or any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Rafaelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd like to thank our team, which includes Michaela Strather, Lindsay Gamble, Emmanuel Monahan, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime for us to analyze. Until then, I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sandhya Khan. Thank you.